Hello, my name is Josiah Sells. And my name is Isaiah Sells. And you're listening to The, the Good Trash Yarnica Cast. Do you see this writing? Do you know what it means? Hospitality. And you can't piss on hospitality. I won't allow it! Um, I'm going to need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. Tell you what, I'll take Miss Barrett back to her apartment and check her out. I'll go check out Miss Barrett's apartment. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. Statistical fact. Cops will never pull over a man with a huge bong in his car. Why? They fear this man. They know he sees farther than they. And he will bind them with ancient logics. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast, where a bunch of guys gather around a table and we talk about movies. We don't talk about the movies you're going to see in a film studies course. No, no, no. We're going to talk about the movies you will never discuss in a film studies course. We're going to look at the good trash this week. It's some good trash, great B movie science fiction from the 60s. That's right, Planet of the Apes. But before we get into that, we got introductions to do. I begin across the table. If you would, sir, please. My name is Dalton Stewart. And Arthur, get your damn dirty paws off me. <laughs> also to my left, if you would, sir. I am Arthur Gordon, and I just can't resist Alton. You're just too darn handsome. That's <laughs> uh, so true. Call, call me Bright Eyes. Directly to my side, if you would, sir. <laughs> Caleb Masters. And all I have to say is, no, you sons of bitches, no! <laughs> and I am here to remind you again that you must remember the scrolls. You must read your scriptures. And my name is Dustin Sells, and I'm very, very glad to be with you all to discuss this movie today. Now, again, dear listener, if this happens to be the first show you've listened to, this is an analysis show, not a review show. Which means there will be spoilers, and there might be a big one with this particular film. So let's begin, though, before we do those reviews, with a synopsis from the voice of the cinema himself. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. An astronaut crew crash lands on a planet in the distant future where intelligent talking apes are the dominant species and humans are the oppressed and enslaved. That's right, and they discover that the food is made out of people. Since you've got the football already, Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, go ahead and let us hear your review. Uh, well, you know what? I kind of like this movie. It's uh, It's got this charm about it. I don't know uh, quite what it is. I don't think it's the greatest movie ever. Uh, but I do enjoy the makeup and the costuming, and I think the premise is really fun. I like what they do here with it. Uh, it's very interesting, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think it really... And I even think it stands the test of time. I mean... For the most part, for what it is, I think it looks really good. I like I like Charlton Heston. I think it's fun. He's a bit of a jerk throughout the whole movie, and there's really no resolution to that. He's, nope. He is, from from day one on Earth, when they launched, I'm sure he was a, a jerk. And Can you imagine 18 months film, in space with that character? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I don't know how nobody didn't kill him or yeah. like crack his space. That's why I went to sleep last. Well, That's, you know, she that. had it been much worse. That's what <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but it, you know what? Yeah, I, I like it. I think it was fun. I'm glad I watched it. Thank you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Uh, Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Does this work or not work? Yeah, thumbs, thumbs up. This movie definitely works. It's um, it's a classic, obviously. 
And I think it holds up like most good classics do. Uh, yeah, some of the, the visuals aren't great anymore, and some of the writing, yeah, a little stilted. It does feel like a, a B-movie at times. However, uh, the concept premise is very rich. It's it's exciting. It's fun. They have fun with it. Um, and I, I, I really enjoyed everything about this movie. Well, even if it's not the greatest movie ever. Even if it's not as good as I remember people hyping it up to be. It's been a few years since I watched it. It's still it's still a classic. And it's, it's good. Thank you, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you, sir? You're both fools who speak heresy. This movie's fantastic, and I'll have no more ill words said about it. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is great. Can you imagine a modern movie ending? This was a blockbuster film when it came out. Can you imagine a modern blockbuster ending this way? Quietly, great, quietly, yeah. first of all. First of all, quietly does yeah. it end. Second of all, no resolution. Third of all, you get your answer and then end. The major mystery fade to black. The bleakest ending. Oh my god, are you kidding me? They ended. Stargate should have been taking notes. Yes. Somebody should have watched this and took notes. Gigantic, furious, kiss my ass if you don't like the end of this movie. (laughs) Cojones going on here. I I, I didn't say I love the end of the movie. I I love the Fade to black, and then we get just, what, oceans hitting the Just oceans. oceans. Waves hitting the shores. Cast of characters. And it's a major studio motion picture. I think that's awesome. <laughs> there are other things about this film, yeah, that don't that don't work well. Charlton Heston uh, in a lot of places, although he's kind of a badass, so it works. His character as a whole is actually a really great anti-hero. He's just, you know, Charlton Heston. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, I'm going to agree with the gentleman at the table here. This movie is great. I really, really enjoy it. It <clears> makes <throat> me long for the good days of science fiction because there are moments in science fiction now where it does feel quite predictable. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I obviously Rod Serling's involved in that whole Twilight Zone connection, and yeah. that's it does feel very much like an episode of Twilight Zone. Now, I can give a few bit of critiques. Uh, the makeup is fantastic, though the mouths of the monkeys doesn't move as much yeah. as you would like to see them. Uh, I think one of the good things that has been improved is CGI. Andy Serkis' performance mm-hmm. as Caesar. Uh, they, made it, they made it as Caesar. I don't know how they say that. Caesar, I, I think. I think it's just Caesar. Caesar. But yeah, this is as, as, I, as I said earlier, this is almost Spanish. a... Yeah. <laughs> as I said earlier, this is almost a 50-year-old film. And it still looks... Yeah, there, you can see the the cracks uh, in, in the <clears throat> the Frisco a little bit mm-hmm. clear, more clearly. But, I mean, yeah, the makeup still looks yeah. great. It's, not, yeah, it's, it not so, it's definitely not so bad. You're like, oh my gosh, how did we ever watch this bad? It's definitely yeah. not now, bad. Now, obviously, you look back and you're like, <laughs> New York looks exactly like the Mojave Desert. But, I mean... Because that's where they filmed everything. Radiation. <laughs> but it's still awesome, right, yeah. Dustin? Uh, Jerry Goldsmith's soundtrack, though. You mentioned the yeah. sound. I mean, good night. It is amazing. It was Academy Award worthy. And, you know, the thing won four Academy Awards. So there's something there, uh, I think, all by itself. I would say this. Uh, there's a cheapness sometimes uh, in the movie that I noticed early on in that it seems like they had the helicopter rented for the week mm-hmm. and they just they decided they had to go ahead and use it as much as possible yeah. Yeah. and that was a little frustrating but other places the composition the framing especially when Taylor escapes uh, with under under threat of gelding oh it's awesome <laughs> there, there are some framings and some shot perspectives in there that are fantastic that chase yeah. sequence is, is the tits it, frankly. Really, it, is, it is outstanding yeah, yeah I love it 
Yeah. Hey, this movie, I think we all like it. That's the uh, overall verdict, I think, obviously, dear listeners. So keep that in mind as uh, we move forward. No, though, we are now getting into spoiler territory. So we are now going to move into our analyses of the show and talk about what it means. We're going to break it apart, look at the insides, and say this is why this is worthwhile and where the conversations ought to be uh, brought about. I begin with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, since this is a semi-Arthur Gordon pick, at least he re- he made us remember that it was there, and we all said, of course. So he's well, what it, he incited us all to pick this movie. I think this is kind of the original good trash type of film, isn't it? Isn't it? I, I think this is. Yeah. The def- if you look up good trash in the dictionary, someday, when it's there, this will be a picture. Be. Charleston <laughs> Heston shaving and kissing or, a chimp. Or, Absolutely. Or at least yeah. on Wikipedia, one of the two. You're so damned ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the first thing, the things I noticed, obviously, I think there's some probably some thinly veiled arguments about uh, science and uh, religion and mm-hmm. whether or those two can coexist. Yeah. yeah, it's it's in the guise of apes as as humans, so I think it's somewhat thinly as all great very science, thinly veiled. as all great science fiction does. It <laughs> very that, thinly veils the issues of the day. Yeah. It's that Star Trek rule, and they get away with it. You know, there's an episode of Star Trek where they go the they go to the planet, and half the people's faces is black, and half the people's faces is white, but some of the people have the black on the left. And some of the people have the black on the right, and there's this huge racial divide between them. <laughs> it, it, it's like it's clearly like this is the same kind of people, but they can't see past this yeah. one little difference. Good job, Gene. It's that yeah, sort of Gene thing. Gene was yeah. smart. He was a good man. Uh, I think there are probably some arguments here about animal testing and zoos mm-hmm. and that whole that whole little thing going on. Uh, but what I really want to point out, and what I really like about this movie, is the use of foreshadowing, mm-hmm. um, especially once you know the reveal at the end that <laughs> ta-da, they're on Earth. The foreshadow, I think, really sticks out. It starts mm-hmm. right away uh, when they land, and uh, I can't remember which which astronaut it is, but one of them plants the American flag in the soil. So I think we start with the flag, and they really emphasize the time and date on Earth a lot in the opening sequence. Uh, and then that moves into the maps. Uh, when they show the maps, uh, one of the tidbits of trivia is that the maps are actually uh, New York, New Jersey landlines and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I actually I, I made a point to look at the map and yeah. try to figure it out. It was very clearly And so they're very they're very clearly planting these seeds all along. Even the mention of the sacred scrolls, it's very biblical. It's very Well the lawgiver, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Which is he you know the lawgiver stars in the movie. So that's kind of hilarious too. Hear me Oh hear me All pay heed The Lord The Lord Jehovah has given unto you these fifteen Ten! Ten commandments for all to obey! And then we move into, uh, there's the scene in the museum and we get shots of uh, different poses, but I believe there's a lady and a man eating a fruit at one point. We get Adam and Eve there, and then there's a man standing over another man looking like the first murder of Cain and Abel. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're starting to see these things kind of point out. It builds and bigger and bigger. If you haven't figured it out, probably by the time you get it. read English. Yeah, that's that was the first clue. That was the first clue. <laughs> and I don't know how English evolved with the apes, but uh, uh, the last thing uh, of foreshadowing, and it's right at the end, is the biggest piece is when he gets to the cave mm-hmm. and he finds the doll, the, the doll that apes probably wouldn't make to talk uh, and speak English, and he gets he finds the, uh, the the mechanical valve and the dentures, and it reminds him of a man that he used to know, as he sits here thinking about it, and I'm starting to wonder maybe he didn't already start putting those pieces together himself. I think it's definitely possible. Yeah. But the way he sits there in this odd kind of mm-hmm. state, I think he starts to put it together. Uh, but I think this movie's use of foreshadowing is just brilliant. 
uh, leading to that big reveal. And when you go back, you can really pick up on a lot of things. You're like, ah, I was there the whole time. And I, I think it, I, I wish I'd been in an audience in 1968 watching this because I think it would have been brilliant. Oh, to more see than it. anything in the world, Ron. And I, I want to say this, though. It does, re, <laughs> it does reward the rewatch, right, Ron? Uh, <laughs> it does reward it because you do see all those plantings. The same thing with the sixth sense. A lot of people don't give it a chance again because, oh, well, I know how it ends oh, now. Yeah. But really, it's so much fun to watch it knowing because mm-hmm. it is really brilliantly telling you the whole time exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, right. And you did, and, it, and it still, you missed it. Well, and, and honestly, that when you, with the rewatch value, it's really brilliant to, to look at foreshadowing and how the story's structured and realize, wow, it wasn't just cool for the reveal. It's cool because they knew, they were plotting this perfectly. They were building it perfectly yeah. to get this grand picture at the end. So uh, that's what I really like about this movie. That's what I take away from it. Excellent. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I like that structural, kind of formal storytelling aspect. That's an aspect of the filmmaking that we talk about too uh, too little on this show. So thank you for that. Uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis bring you, sir? At the beginning of the film, uh, Charlton Heston muses on his recorder uh, that it's been 200 years or some odd since they've left Earth. Uh and he wonders that he knows that everyone he's ever known is long dead. Um, and before he goes into hypersleep, he muses, I wonder if we're any better uh, than we are. Uh, we find out at the end of the film that we were not. Mm-hmm. We got worse, in fact. And I think that is the, the ultimate question of this film. Is, is mankind inherently um, violent and prone to self-destruction? Can humankind be better? Can we get better? And I don't know. And I don't think the the film sets out to answer those que- answer those questions so much as it sets out to pose them. But I think it's important to weigh them, and it does throughout the whole film. Heston's a douchebag, to be sure, in real life and in this film. But he poses a really important question throughout the film. We we see him just kind of, and Landon points out, you, you hated people. You didn't like anybody. Why are you here? And it is kind of this weird uh, paradox of the you know the the pessimist, the, the misanthrope who does deeply love humanity and wants to see us do better. And I, I think it's interesting uh, because we see in the ape society uh, things of our own, own being reflected back at us as we often see in science fiction. You know, there is rampant subjugation. There, there's a kind of really, there's remarks about a quota system with the, among the apes that has been recently dissolved and that they've gotten rid of. We see a lot of things being reflected back at us. And I, and I think that's part of what makes this film so successful is the only out-and-out out most blatant thing that we see. So the thing that I find most interesting is even though we have all these, you know, other thinly-veiled references to our own society and these other things that uh, Planet of the Apes holds a mirror up to us and asks us to look at, the only one that it really goes for with gusto is this question of violence and this question of subjugation and whether or not, uh, you know, society's flaws are, are inherent, whether or not these things are going to happen in any society. People will be persecuted. Uh, those who lack power will continue to have power taken from them. Uh, and, and again, I don't think the film answers a single one of these questions. I don't think it wants to, and I don't think it has to. But I'm glad that it asks them. And I'm glad that in 1968 it asked them, because that was a, that was an important time to be asking them. I just really like this film, guys. And I think that the, the analysis that you can take away from this film uh, heightens it. It really does. It kind of takes up to a whole other level, and you're like, "Oh, that's why this is a classic." Not because of the, the the achievements and makeup effects, although those are there. Not for the the cool action set pieces, although those are there. For the questions it asks us about humanity and about um, our violent nature, and about the way society functions 
as a model of self-perpetuating violence. Excellent, excellent. I think you're right on uh, with all that, Dalton, and I, I do think that's part of why it has the shelf life uh, that it does, that, that nearly nuclear-preserved shelf life. Um, well, I see what you did there. That was funny. <laughs> it doesn't ever stop. So, uh, Mr. Caleb Masters, what analysis bring you, sir? The thing that was most evident to me was that this movie is dealing with uh, another reflection of society, which we still are, are battling to some degree, which is uh, racism, mm-hmm. um, uh, diversity. Uh, I mean, it could be a number of things. But think about it like this. We go to a planet where human beings, who are once the superior spe- species, are now the inferior species. And guess what? We didn't treat the apes too well. So what are they, what are they naturally going to do when they take over? They're going to treat us like crap because like, they're the superior ones, right? Now, this is uh, the, the parallel that immediately comes to mind is racism, uh, African-Americans uh, in the 1960s. Like, I, I think you uh, were really smart by, by, by clarifying saying this is an important movie for 1968. I think it's a huge mm. movie for a lot of different reasons because that is the year that the this year uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Uh, a lot of rioting uh, in the country. It was a really big year for the United States of America and Hollywood. The same year this movie was being made. And the thing this movie is asking the question is, what if, what if, what if the Africans were the ones who came over and conquered the the conquered North America. What if they were the ones who are going out pu- uh, pushing their culture on the rest of us? How would we like that? And this movie's kind of looking at those things, and you can you can look at stuff like the damn dirty apes quote, which I think, you know, we could say the same thing about uh, when so we tell them now to say that stuff. still say that stuff, yeah. And uh, I think the movie is, is, is definitely <laughs> getting at the fact that um, there's there's a double standard in the way we perceive, perceive race, and to some degree still do. Now, I guess you could use the argument for any any movement in civil rights being the current hot button issue being um, gay marriage, things like of that nature. But I think in the context of this movie's movie, race is definitely an, an issue. And do we owe it to ourselves as a society to be better? Can it, I think this ties in a lot of what Dalton was raising is, can we be better than this? We are perpetuating violence, which is ultimately perpetuated back when the apes take over. So we perpetuated violence with race, and guess what? We got black power. You know, we have all these violent techniques to try to stay the dominant authority instead of trying to live in harmony with each other because we're afraid of the change. So I think this movie is definitely looking at a lot of hard-pressed questions, and at the end, the movie kind of, it answers by not answering. Well, guess what? You're fighting, and the world that you were fighting so hard to, to protect and to maintain is ashes. It's, it's, there's, there's nothing left of it. Uh, it's, it's all been changed and, and corrupted by your own your own your own assertive nature to control has led to the destruction uh, and the rise of the apes. So I don't know. I just think it's a really interesting look at those in power, particularly the white uh, white man in the 1960s, you know, uh, that, that dominant idea of the European culture with the Native Americans. Lots of different ways to read it. But I think uh, this is definitely a reading you cannot overlook when, when watching Planet of the Apes. Well, Dustin, what, what do you got to say? Well, you know, I, I want to connect, I think, some of the dots of racism and some of the social subjugationism mm-hmm. and some of this kind of narrative creating that's going on. I do want to point out there is uh, this great use of imagery of the use of the fire hose mm-hmm. uh, that yeah. is definitely evocative of a civil rights movement. I think it's great that we're talking about this particular film on Martin Luther King Day, and it's a good day for it. And so that happens to be the day this happens to be recorded if you're listening somewhere in the future. Guess what? Charlton <laughs> Heston's not the one does yeah. time travel. Yeah. We do it. Well, these tapes survived for two thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just—it is very interesting to me that this film managed came out at the height of the civil rights movement and at the height of the Cold War, and really heavily addresses both of these issues. Yeah, absolutely so. does. 
And, and the question I think the film begins to raise for us um, that Charlton Heston raises that Dalton pointed out is like, are we going to get any better? And the question is, why don't we get any better? Or the question is, why do we keep perpetuating things that are clearly, obviously stupid and foolish? Why would we continue to ignore the findings of science because it does not fit the narrative, it does not fit the already acknowledged existence that the Earth is the center of the universe and the sun revolves around it versus heliocentrism for just our solar system or uh, other scientific discoveries or other possibilities that uh, these people who come from the continent of Africa happen to be fully human just like the rest of us and are just as sentient as uh, the rest of us. So what is that that keeps that from happening? And, and the thing is, it's, it's hegemony. Hegemony is a term coined by a guy called Antonio Gramsci, which is the system by which the ruling classes use a, uh, a sort of, well, the phrase that actually Dr. Zayas uses, uh, the self-evidentiary nature of the way things are to say that's the way they always should be. And so we say, well, obviously, black people should be slaves because they're slaves. That's the way it is. It's, it's the story. And they begin to create these other sub-narratives around them saying, so everything that we say, it has to continue in this tradition, else all will be lost. So any scientific or archaeological discoveries that might suggest that there is something different about uh, this film, or, uh, or not about this film, about this discovery of Taylor and his ability to speak, those things are not allowed. It's the Galileo discoveries. It's the Darwin discoveries. And saying, oh, we cannot be having any of this. That's that's the process of hegemony. But what this film does is does something brilliant. It does not just say that stories themselves, traditions themselves, the wisdoms of our ancestors are inherently false. I think sometimes people who are big Gramsci fans love hegemony and find hegemonies in lots of places and are happy to say, here's a hegemony therefore it's bad, here's a hegemony therefore it's bad and so we should just say, this narrative being used, this scientific understanding dogma being used this religious dogma being used is all bad, therefore we should cast aside and just pull on what's new rather the film actually does a strange thing in which it acknowledges the truth in the Ape Simeon scriptures or their scrolls in which he says man is the only being that kills one another, kills his brother for lust, for greed, and for wealth, and it is he's right. I mean what was what's crazy about the movie is Zaius is right. Zaius' scriptures are actually correct about human beings. There is something broken in them in this particular story. And so what it does say is when stories are abused for the sake of power, they should always be recognized as abusive and that abuse should be turned on its head. And freedom and liberation and justice and all those sort of things should be fought for, which is exactly what Charlton Heston's character does. But the things that are true, we should think about that as well. And again, since this is Martin Luther King Day, uh, he's, there's a great example. The hegemony of using the scriptures to justify slavery in, in the Christian tradition and to use those teachings to turn around and, and, and justify racism. What uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was able to do is say that reading is not valid and remained a Baptist minister until the day he was executed in 1968 and said, no, wait, we can actually t take some truth from the story and still fight the structures and the powers that be. And so I find in this film this really brilliant and beautiful discussion of hegemony, but it doesn't just say, let's throw it all out. It's, it's got a baby and bathwater bit of uh, nuance and complexity, and I dig that about that. That's why this movie rocks my face off. Liberate your minds by any means necessary, brother. <laughs> that's right. Because that's the point, right? For sure. Uh, so, uh, and, it, and it, man, good movie. 
It is a good movie. Good movie. I'm enjoying it the more we talk about it. And I really enjoyed the first, I enjoyed rewatching it, but man, this, this is some great analysis, guys. There's a lot of stuff in there, man. You just gotta start digging. That's right. That's why we do the show, is to kind of begin conversations so people can start digging right alongside with us about that. So we're gonna give you some clues on how to do that, but we gotta give our final verdict. We have to, we have to, we've called, we've convened a council, we have our little, our oddly, uh, Dough roller shaped gavels, and we are going to now. I have been uh, denied clothing and have been forced to wear a muzzle. <laughs> Not for the show. That's that's just for fun. Later. Yeah, yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> you don't need to know what happens. When we're not recording. <laughs> so what's good? What's what's the verdict? Show what us. is the verdict? Shelf or trash? Else or instead, I ask you, Caleb Masters. Oh, this is shelf. Absolutely. Uh, for all the reasons we just said, and because I think I think it's a great introduction to science fiction. I think it's a great. B-movie science fiction. It's also a great A-movie science fiction, depending on how you want to look at it. And I think this movie does best... This movie is a reminder of why science fiction is great. It's a movie that lets us be absolutely insanely ridiculous with our premises, and then explore some really interesting ideas that we couldn't do in just a day-to-day drama. And I think this is a, a great example that I would definitely want to show all my friends who are looking to get in science fiction. So for else, what would you pair this film with? I've got four suggestions. Uh, the first one being the recent Rise of the Planet of the Apes because it's actually a really great movie on its own right, unrelated to the rest of the franchise. Uh, Andy Serkis does an excellent performance, uh, sells a character with just his hands and face, uh, and it, it raises a lot of uh, really some of the same questions actually about uh, between apes and humans. It's, it's kind of a really cool contemporary companion. Uh, going along with uh, Arthur's idea of structural structure. Sorry, of structure. I'm thinking of uh, the Prestige. Chris Nolan's Prestige was another movie that really cleverly, slowly built up this this excellent twist in the end. And the, structurally, the movie is incredible. So I think uh, that's another great example of uh, light science fiction we could tie in. Uh, another one being the the Time Machine, uh, based off of H.G. Wells's novel. Both the 1960 and the 2002 versions. Um, 1960s a classic. Deals with a lot of the same ideas. 2002 not good. However. However, there are some really great ideas to be to be brought from that movie. Watch the first half. The second half, it kind of goes crazy. But that first half where he's time traveling and looking at the... It's, it deals with the same questions. The humans drilling, looking for something in the moon. They break the moon, and guess what? The whole planet goes nuts. Is it unatanium? <laughs> it was. It was unatanium. Your cinema is invalid. Uh, and lastly, this is uh, actually a read uh, also. Uh, Why the Last Man? Dealing yeah. with a lot of the same ideas. Mm-hmm. A comic book, it's got film adaption on the way. But uh, I think it's dealing with a lot of ideas. It's where uh, there's only one man left and the whole world is ran by women. So mm. yeah. It's a really fantastic comic series. Sounds yeah, it is. awesome. It's really amazing. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you think? Shelfer trash? Else yeah. or instead? Yeah, I think this is a shelfer. I think it's a, it's a classic of cinema. It is a just a great sci-fi film. It does everything right that sci-fi film should do. And for that, I think it should be uh, touted above other films. Uh, with this, though, I think you watch. Uh, I think you watch some of the original Star Trek. Gene Roddenberry is a very, very clever writer, and he addresses a lot of issues without really letting you know that he's addressing those issues. Sometimes, I think. Uh, I think with this, you watch Timeline, which I think is a fun little time romp, uh, time travel story. Time romp. Time romps. <laughs> um, then you watch The Sixth Sense, which plays with a really good twist ending and does that foreshadowing. That Dustin was mentioned earlier. Uh, but finally, as far as foreshadowing is concerned, I think you watch a little show called Arrested Development. Uh, which plays with that that uh, that device so much that even in the newest season, you have to wonder what was how far in advance were they thinking when they wrote the first season. Uh, it's just brilliant writing all around, and so that's that's what else I'd be watching with Planet of the Apes. 
I like those picks, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you think? Shelf or trash? Elsewhere instead? I mean, yeah, this goes on the, the shelf, obviously. Nobly and profoundly with the with the sacred scrolls, you put this on the, the shelf. Uh, for a lot of the reasons that, that Caleb said, I mean, it comes from that golden era of 60s and 70s science fiction that really, we, the, the sci-fi really kind of came into its own as a film genre. And I think that's extremely valuable. Uh, and, and not just for its, its ability to maintain quality over these years, but for its importance as, as a piece of film history, it definitely should be preserved. Uh, you should pair with this film, I would also recommend Rise of the Planet of the Apes from 2011, which is a surprisingly very good film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a film when I heard it announced, I was like, oh, come on. Yeah. But man, it's good. It's yeah. really good. And the whole time I was watching Planet of the Apes, I was thinking, man, I'm excited for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which comes out this summer. Definitely one of the biggest surprises of that year. Yeah. yeah. I, I continue to be surprised how much I like that film. Every time yeah. I think about it, I'm like, I need to rewatch that. Uh, and I'm really excited for the sequel. Um, if you want a, another film that deals with uh, the questions of violence and race uh, in the form of a sci-fi action thriller, you should go back to a film from 2009 called District 9. Check that one out. I mean, uh, Neil Baumkamp's uh, directorial uh, feature film debut. Uh, mm-hmm. Man, that's a good movie. Yeah. Love it a lot. Um, yes. Really good. And if you're looking for uh, something that uh, has a, an iconic twist ending and you really want to go, wow, did they bury the lead on that? So I would recommend uh, The Usual Suspects, which is a film I like a lot, but I think it buries the lead on its twist. And um, your mileage may vary on whether or not there is any foreshadowing. Uh, and, and the same for the Planet of the Apes. I think if you look for the foreshadowing, it's there. But I think you might have to look harder uh, than in other better films, frankly. Because as much as I like this film, there are better films. Um, sure. So take the take these two as pieces of uh, consideration when, when thinking about how well twists work. Dustin Sells, does this go on the shelf? Does it go in the trash? And what would you pair with it, or what would you watch instead of it? I would absolutely put this on the shelf. In fact, I would buy the Ultimate Edition, which will get you five films... And uh, you put it on the shelf next to the sacred. I've heard scrolls. beneath the planet of the apes is the worst one. Uh, well, the one uh, where they worship the nuclear bomb. Yeah, that's beneath the planet of the apes. Yeah. But again, I mean, we're talking the worst kind of gold. We're still talking gold. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it's 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 low quality gold. It might even be slightly iron pyrite kind of gold, <laughs> but it's still shiny and fun and uh, a good Saturday morning spent with coke floats and popcorn. Hmm. Oh nostalgia. Moving on, um, what else you should watch? Uh, a couple picks I have. First of all, I think from 1968, you need to be looking at a movie called 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, about the fears of what humanity is doing with itself and uh, what the technology that humanity is putting together and what it may do to us uh, in spite of our own best designs. I'm sorry, Justin. I can't allow you to recommend that. Yeah, you and Siri both wanted to stop, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna say so anyway. Also, um, just because of evolution, you should watch Inherit the Wind. Uh, Spencer Tracy does the Scopes Monkey Trial, and it's good times and uh, something to be thinking about as well with this. And finally, keeping it fun, you should be watching uh, The Order of the Phoenix, a uh, Harry Potter film uh, where a lot of these sort of racial, muggle, half-blood, pure-blood issues become uh, very, very crucial in the plot. And uh, also twist. Also, oh wait, no, sorry, I was thinking of the. No, that's that's the, 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 the Apple Prince. Yeah, I lose track. Severus. Please, have a look at
But I recommend those films uh, for some of the... I think they are great companion viewings and just showing where cinema is wrestling with some similar types of questions and it'd make for a good four or five nights if you did that. All right, gentlemen. Well, that was great times. Uh, thank you for all of that. Let's move on and give our dear listener an opportunity to respond to the things that we said. How would they evaluate our analysis? How would they shelf or trash this particular film? And what else or instead uh, might they watch? I ask you, Dalton Stewart, do you know anything about social media by which they might contact us? Mm-hmm. What? Do you know anything in social media? Do I know anything about social media? It, yeah. Do I know anything about social media, Dustin? That's what I'm I can asking. tell you one thing about it. It's a madhouse! <laughs> a madhouse! And especially Twitter. <laughs> yes. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre cast at good underscore trash on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, not much coming in the uh, from the old Twitterverse this week. Um, the tweet, the tweet, Tweetler? I don't know what it was to do. Um, we got a couple of pieces of interesting stories um, from Dustin Sells and from Brigham Cole. I retweeted all of them, so go read those things. They're fun. Uh, some of them are videos, so go do that. But uh, otherwise, nothing nothing in the way of uh, feedback on show episodes. Readable feedback. No. Right. Well, thank you for that, um, and thank you again for your contacts. Again, following us in there is not just a place where you're able to give us information. It's where we're able to give you additional information. Mr. Arthur Gordon, there's another medium I think you know something about. Uh, yes, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. Uh, we do have a couple bits of uh, listener feedback. I don't there. care. Well, that doesn't really matter what you think. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> regardless, because I made this interesting conversation, I didn't think I didn't really pick it up until after uh, I edited uh, the edited it, 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 the, the, the clerk show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the last two shows we did were featured debuts from first time filmmakers uh, in Bruges with Martin McDonough oh, and yeah. uh, Clerks with Kevin Smith. So I asked, "What are some first time director debuts mm-hmm. that people liked?" Uh, Shane Arrington. Uh, said that Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs is up there yeah. uh, be at the top of his list and he's also going to veil- violate the Fincher rule because Dalton can't and say Alien 3 he's a big fan of that series Whoa. Uh, and then Randall like Randall Bays uh, follows that by saying Pushing Hands by Ang Lee mm. uh, so those are just a couple of uh, more recommendations for first time fe- feature films from first time directors So excellent excellent I like that that you know, sounds like an art house film it, it Ang is. Lee Pushing oh, Hands yeah, yeah it is <laughs> You know, Orson Welles didn't do too bad his first time out either. What was it? Citizen Kane. Was that really his very first yeah. one? Yeah. It was all downhill from there. He did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was really kind of well, you know, he tried too much Johnson, but he never got it out. <laughs> <laughs> it never gets old. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Old. It's always going to be funny. It's never not, it's never not funny. <laughs> it was just never released. <laughs> you got to be careful about how much Johnson you release. All right, dear listeners, so there are those places where we can be found on the interwebs to continue the conversation uh, with you all. We're going to now play our game today, and we kind of think it's interesting that Charlton Heston's being cast as this pilot of a space vessel. He's the leader of the crew that's made for you and me. And so we're going to find out a little bit more about what we would want to pick. If we were on a spaceship, who would we want to be our captains? And so we're going to do our round table in that way accordingly. And I ask you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart, who's your captain? Well, first of all, I want to, we're going to go outside of the realm of film, go to video games. I want Commander Shepard. I want him to pilot that Normandy. We're going to go punch some reapers in the face. Now, are we talking your captain? Yes, or? my captain, because I was a great captain. <laughs> you jerk. Um, 
It's a good character, regardless of how you play it, uh, and that's a great uh, video game series. That's the Mass Effect series. For those of you not in the know, you should check it out if you are interested in games at all. Uh, secondly, I, I want to say, I think Michael uh, Fassbender's Dave from Prometheus, because you know what? He took good care of them. I mean, until they got to where <laughs> they were going. But uh, the trip there was nice. All he did was play basketball and watch Lawrence of Arabia. What's wrong with that? And looked beautiful. Dude, he, he was just doing what he was told. He did a great job of doing what he was told, right? Hello. I'm David. What can you do, David? I can do almost anything that could possibly be asked of me. I can assist your employees. I can make your organization more efficient. I can carry out directives that my human counterparts might find distressing. Finally, I, I, I want to say, and how can I not, because it's my favorite space captain, I want to be on the Serenity with Malcolm Reynolds. <laughs> no doubt. You know, brown coats for life, son. The end-all, be-all, greatest, all-time, forever, space captain. I don't care what you say, and I don't know, don't care who uh, other members of the show suggest, because I know certain <laughs> certain similarly-themed uh, space captains might come up, and um, he's better than you them. You like other things with space captains? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might. Caleb, but this one's better than the one you're going to mention that's similar to him. Caleb, do you have any you'd like to suggest? Uh, I've got a few here. Uh, first off, Idris Elba in any size, shape, role, or color. Uh, why? <laughs> oh, so you're just going with actors, not actual... Just Idris uh, Elba, the actor. Well, not he, comes I, in I, one. He, he is multifaceted. <laughs> multifaceted. We got... He is that good. We, we, hey, listen, we got Pacific Rim where he's canceling the apocalypse. We've yeah. got the guy who runs the Thai drug operation in Baltimore with uh, Stringer Bell. Yeah. We've, we've, you've got Luther. I mean, come on. Come on. This also, guy. also the pilot of the Prometheus. Yeah. Andy, pi- Andy, Andy pilot of the Prometheus. That. There you go. See? See? So Not a good captain. He, he crashed the ship. I don't well, know if that was just a, He was for his crew. <laughs> uh, on purpose, he crashed the ship on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Save his crew. And you know what? He, he was a true captain. He went down with the ship. The nav system's down. Put the sun on the left! <laughs> That's a great line. Uh, so, there you go. Idris Elba, any, any form, any role. Han Solo, just because... I mean, come on. Millennium Falcon. Yeah, he, I know. He's, he's a captain. He's, he's a terrible captain. He's a badass space pirate. He's a terrible captain. <laughs> what are you talking about? He could see even smuggles himself in there sometimes. That's fair enough. <laughs> Onto the Death Star. Uh, uh, exactly. On the Death Star. Uh, let's see. Driver from Drive because why not because he's awesome you give me a time and a place I give you a five minute window anything happens in that five minutes and I'm yours no matter what anything happens a minute either side of that and you're on your own do you understand and Professor X because he (laughs) No, I think that's great. I like the guy that. can control other people's minds. If you want to get negotiations, there will be no mutiny on that ship. <laughs> no, no mutiny. And you get attacked, aboard, and guess what? He just sends them all back. There's like, all right, space pirates, get off my ship. Okay. Uh, yeah. Also, he was Captain Picard, so and he was there Captain was Picard, so that, that works. Uh, and lastly, if we're gonna pick a pirate, you know. Barbosa is definitely a better actual captain than Jack Sparrow, so why not put the guy who gets his whole crew turned into skeletons for like 20 years? It was probably the most legit way he's picked. <laughs> I don't know why we're laughing about that one. I'm just laughing at Dalton. I'm sorry. Barbosa's a good pick. That, that's good stuff. I like, I like Barbosa. Well, well, Arthur Gordon, what are your picks? <laughs> 
<coughs> well, I'll go with my giggly show, isn't it? Yeah, I'll go with the non-space captain first. And I'm going to say Captain Phillips, uh, the cinematic captain. <laughs> <laughs> Creativity points. <laughs> Do we have other captains on your list, Arthur? Yes, there are. There are other captains more uh, <laughs> apt to be found in space, I suppose. Uh, uh, the next one is going to be actually Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise in the next generation. I uh, I like Picard. I'm a Picard. I am a Picard guy, not a Kirk guy. Uh, Kirk's a little too immature and irresponsible for my liking. Uh, <laughs> but I do uh, I do enjoy Picard. And so I would, I would think. Sorry, he, he was good. too busy punching ali- punching Romulans and making out with hot space chicks uh, to play in the holodeck, Arthur. <laughs> Man, the holodeck. Wouldn't it be just a weird reading to read the Next Generation as a follow up to X Men? <laughs> and it's just the danger room. It, just, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's a logical next oh step. He's God. already Picard's Xavier. He just moved on with his life because apparently he can reincarnate himself. <laughs> As we found out after Wolverine. Cool. <laughs> cool. He also learned to walk at some point. Yeah, apparently he looks back. Cool. <laughs> He's blowing my brain. Regardless. And the last one, though, I think I've got to show some love uh, to another another person from the Alien franchise, and that is Ellen Ripley. Is it Ellen? Yes. Right. Uh, you, Ellen Ripley. I'll check with me. Yeah, I just want to make sure. I thought it was. Uh, but that's Ellen Ripley. we got a strong, uh, fierce captain. Uh, I, I think she would be... A true asset to any to any bridge that she were to be on. I'm gonna say no, and only because every expedition she goes on, Turns she's crap. the only survivor. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. There is a point there. Every time, Arthur. Every time. She tries her best. She does she try really hard, except for four, which I think is why Alien Resurrection is a great way to end the Alien series, is because she finally managed to go on a journey that didn't involve getting everyone killed. Dustin Sells, what are your picks for a space captain you'd most like to lead you on a voyage? Well, speaking of final survivors, um, I, I want to give a couple sort of non-traditional picks and one more traditional pick. Um, and, and one of this is because of survival skills. I want to pick Chuck Nolan to be the captain. He'll be a terrible captain because, as you all know, Chuck Nolan is the uh, character's name in Castaway. Okay. And uh, that way, we'll have a competent second mate on the ship <laughs> that can actually do stuff. But if the thing crashes into a planet, me and Chuck are going to make it. I don't know, man. He let, he let Wilson go. Did you see the same he, movie I did? He let him go. He did let Wilson go, but Wilson was a volleyball man. I cried so hard for that. <laughs> I did, too. Oh, my God. I wept. So, that, so there's, there's a slight connection. Now, 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 here's another a leader of men, okay, sort of captain. And so there would be some kind of bizarre B-movie science fiction weirdness that would have to happen where this genre mashup would occur. But Russell Crowe's Gladiator, Maximus, if he was somehow kidnapped by space aliens and he took over the ship, I'd follow that man anywhere. Yeah. And I would like to be in that movie. I'd just follow Russell Crowe anywhere. No doubt. Yeah. Make him movie. I mean, listen, did you see Man of Steel, how he was commanding that ship he was on? He was like, boom! And doors closed. Come on. You know, he's... It's that movie. It wasn't as funny in theory as he thought it was going to be. It happens to me all the time, though. Let's call the movie, man. So I, I really, really dig Russell Crowe's performance, especially as Gladiator. And mm-hmm. I, again, I think it's in, in a sort of military sense, mm-hmm. uh, on a ship, I want him to be the captain uh, playing the Gladiator character, except it's sci-fi. Yeah, I'm going to uh, do it. So, okay. And, and finally, I do want to pick my Star Trek captain. And he didn't begin as a captain, actually. He was a commander. And that is uh, Captain Sisko. Benjamin Sisko, I think, is fantastic. I mean, he is bald. He likes baseball. What do you want from me? That's I, Deep Space Nine, right? That is Deep Space Nine. Okay. The best of the series. 
Uh, as you said on the show before. Because mm-hmm. I'm correct. And no one's fought you on it yet. Because they know I'm correct. So apparently our listeners all agree with you. Or Bring nobody it. else watched Deep Space Nine except for Dustin. Boom. Bring it, Internet. <clears throat> That's all I have to say. <laughs> so thank you for those picks. That is some Trekkies fun unite. stuff. What's that? Trekkies Unite. Tre- oh, no. Star Wars <laughs> kid. I don't know. Sorry. I like old sci-fi, so there you go. Well, we're done. <clears throat> Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, that's that's some good stuff. Let's let's move on. To the last thing, the last aspect of our show in which we talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. And so I begin with you, Mister Arthur Gordon. Are you fired up this week? Not really. Uh, for the dear listener, we had a quick turnaround on uh, on recording, and so I haven't really had time to get fired up. Some stuff I didn't get to mention last week. Um, Oscar nominations came out. We didn't get to talk about a lot. No true surprises for me. Uh, so nothing really fired up me there. Uh, but I did find out Michael Douglas will be in Marvel's Ant-Man. Cool. He will be... Hank Pym. Hank The Pym. original Ant-Man. Thank Man, you. Giant yes. Man. And, cool. Uh, I guess he'll be mentoring... Paul Rudd. Who is... I don't know that guy's name. The yeah. second one. <laughs> the second or cool. third, right? I can't, yeah, it's the second one. I can't okay. remember his name. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I am... You know, we get to see Robert Redford uh, in Captain America this year, and I am pretty hyped up to see Michael Douglas in a Marvel film. I think that, that brings a lot of fun to those those movies. I am trying to watch more movies this year, and so I'm trying to use my letterbox more this year, and I've been working on it the last couple of days. Cool. But I thought it might be fun to lay down a little challenge. What's that? Well, bring it, sucker. Uh, who can watch the most movies in 2014? We we reconvene here next January and see who watches yeah. the most. Oh, no, no, are, so we, are from, we talking? Are we talking movies in general or just catalog? Twenty fourteen movies. Nope, in general. So from today, MLK Day, January twenty. Let's just start January. I think we've January first. Okay, okay. you can go in and add what you've done so yeah. far this year. I can't remember how many have you watched in ten in twenty days. I actually haven't watched that much this year. I've been taking a break. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. I need to know this. That's scary. Maybe. Yeah. Hey, you saw American Hustle? Did you see Wolf of Wall Street this year? That, I mean, there's there's Netflix too, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, obviously. yeah. We're talking. How many movies did you? Yeah, don't think about I'm the like theater nine. because I know he's not talking about the You're theater. Like, what, I watch nearly six movies a week, no matter what. Really, you watch at least a movie a day, pretty yeah, much. Almost. So you're sitting around eighteen. Say fifteen to be safe. Something yeah. like that. Go yeah. back and log off the log. You can look yeah, up what you watch on Netflix. I yeah. I log every movie I watch pretty much, and I write a review for pretty much every movie I watch. So let's do it. Yeah, it'll be fun. So what have you what have you added to Letterboxd? You've written some reviews. What are you doing? I've just been logging in. I started. I went in yesterday and kind of updated the stuff. I did my. I put my best of list for on there, mm-hmm. and then I did a list of the movies we're doing. I saw your thing, so I'm kind of doing that good trash. The movies we're doing in 2014, mm-hmm. and then uh, I've just been logging, doing little write up reviews, uh, like one paragraph things, uh, logging yeah. the movies pretty quickly. Lists uh, are fun. I haven't done one in a while, but yeah. they're fun. So I, th- I think it'd be fun just to uh, just to push myself, challenge myself, and so yeah. Yeah, I'll just spot you guys 20 days. Oh, oh. Fair enough. Okay. You got a hit start? That's bold talk from a one eyed fat man. <laughs> <laughs> Dalton Stewart, are you fired up this week in pop culture? I'm significantly fired up. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, mention last week that I didn't get to mention, it would have been a great week to mention it because it was our end of the year kind of recap. I really like the way the National Board of Review uh, passes out their best films of the year. Uh, like Dustin does with the AFI, I'm a big fan of the way they do this. And here's why. They do your typical best director, best actor, best supporting, best screenplays, etc., etc. And then they do the best film of the year, and they gave it to her. But they also have a top films in alphabetical order. And that 
for this year was 12 Years a Slave, Fruitvale Station, Gravity, Inside Lewin Davis, Lone Survivor, which is a weird one, Nebraska, Prisoners, Saving Mr. Banks, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, also a weird one, and The Wolf of Wall Street. But then they do a top five foreign language films, which they gave to Beyond the Hills, Gloria, The Grandmaster, A Hijacking, and The Hunt, a top five documentaries, 20 Feet from Stardom, The Act of Killing, which is now on Netflix, um, After Tiller, Casting By, and The Square, and a top ten independent films, which I think is really awesome. Because these are films that don't get a lot of love at the Oscars, uh, surprisingly. You know, there's always a lot of acclaim uh, behind the big indie movies of the year, but uh, we kind of they kind of get tossed by the wayside come award season. Uh, and they gave those to Anthem Body Saints, Dallas Buyers Club, In a World, Mother of George, Much Ado About Nothing, Mud, The Place Beyond the Pines, Short Term Twelve, Sightseers, and The Spectacular Now. And I felt really cool that I had seen over half of that uh, top ten indies of the year list. Sightseers is also on Netflix currently. Is it? Check it out. Uh, also, uh, this last week, we've seen the premieres of Season 5 of Archer and Justified, uh, both of which are awesome! Uh, Archer this year is going to be known as Archer Vice, uh, and it's been hilarious so far. Uh, Justified, uh, as listeners might know, I'm a big fan of that show, and the, you know, the show just keeps getting better. It really does. Finally, uh, I was able to check out uh, the first half of, of the new HBO series True Detective before I came over uh, to record. Guys, it's really good. Is it? Yeah, it's really good. Uh, it's really interesting in that we get to see uh, basically Matthew McConaughey play a Woody Harrelson type, and Woody Harrelson play Matthew McConaughey. Really? Type. Yeah, they're they're both playing against type in a pretty like big that. way. Good time. So it's it's good stuff. That's what I, it's a you know it's an exciting week to be involved in popular culture. Mr. Caleb Masters, are you fired up this week in pop culture? Uh, I got a couple things. It's been a pretty dry week, anyway. Uh, so uh, on the on the note of television, I have two TV shows I want to talk about. One being the show that I am hopefully going to try to binge through next after I finish The Wire, which is Community, which I am constantly reminded that I need to watch, mm-hmm. and I feel like I would fall in love with it instantly just based on the fact that I've actually followed this entire show, but I, like I've read about it but never actually watched it. So it's, I'm really excited about that. Uh, the, the other show I want to mention is uh, the TCA, the Tele- uh, Television Critics Association press conference is going now. It's a two-week event where they basically all, pretty much every show in your mother comes and does a presentation and talks about, hey, well, here's where our show is doing, yada, yada. Not very exciting, although, so there's been a lot of uh, stories of note. One of them I'm pretty good excited about is uh, Jack Bauer coming back. 24, new season in May. That show was ridiculous, but I love it, and it was uh, highly entertaining stuff. Kiefer Sutherland is really stoked. Um, we're from Black and the show I intend to watch. They had a really good panel. Uh, it's just a very, very exciting time in television. Dustin Sells uh, will close out the show. What's got you fired up this week in Popular I, Mechanics? <laughs> I've got two very, very small things. Uh, one of them mm-hmm. uh, is, is that my Denver Broncos <laughs> are going to the Super Bowl. You mean the Super High Bowl? <laughs> the other thing that's got me fired up is more in line with the uh, material of this particular show, and that is last night directly following the NFC Championship game, which I was disappointed to see the CLC Hawks win because um, Pete Carroll deserves to lose always all the things. We're talking about things I don't care about. I got to watch <laughs> Kevin Bacon in the following. Oh, yeah, you like that show. And uh, the premiere was last night. It's probably currently streaming on various uh, means of media mm-hmm. to make it available to you. Uh, but I like the following a lot. It was a good kickoff. And next week's episode will be two hours long. Mm. Yay. Didn't they kill the bad guy at the end of the first season? Hey, oh, wait. Haven't seen it yet. The promos, Sorry. that's all they've been talking about on the promos. Well, let's, let's just say this. <laughs> it's in a gothic tradition, so the real question is, did they? Fair enough. Did they? 
Is it that good? It's that good. I might check it out. I it's dig fun. it. It looks it's like fun. it looks like it looks like it looks like pulp fiction fun, like pulpy pulpy fun. I can plow through. that. I watched the first four episodes. Thirteen episodes is good. And if you're sort of a literary nerd and appreciate any of the Edgar Allan Poe at all, there are um, copious references that copious make it good times. Those of you who actually pay attention to stuff, keep an eye out. Let me know when. Hannibal's gonna start back. Yeah, because I know it's. Well, I need to, uh, they had they I had a, they had the TCA conference about it. Season two is that the same thing as the upfronts? Uh, is that what they call? They might they, they probably call them upfronts. Okay. Yeah, I just read TCA. It's a lot of places. I'll say I think it is upfronts after okay. the cool. beginning of every year. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's a show. Thanks so much for listening, dear listener. We're so glad to have this conversation and to be able to share it with you. Uh, check us out on social media so you can continue the conversation with us and uh, give us some feedback and let us know what you're thinking about uh, what we said. Let's uh, begin our ending wrap-up by announcing uh, Caleb Masters' first pick ever, and there'll be other announcements in next week's episode as well, so you definitely want to tune in. But, Caleb, you're going to pick a movie. What's going to happen to us next week? Uh, next week... We're going classic. We're going the definition of good trash. Terminator 2. Why? Judgment Day! Judgment Day with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm very honored to be able to pick for the first time. I'm really glad Terminator 2 happens to be streaming right now because it is one heck of a movie. That's exciting. I am I am so stoked. That's fun. God. It's going to be a good show. Guys, it is going to be a great show and there will be important announcements as well so you want to be there and for that. And probably very bad impressions. We're going to watch that next week and until then, we're going to keep the conversation going via social media as you've already heard and also you can talk to us all individually. Where are you, Mr. Caleb Masters? You can find me on Twitter at BigCalKenobi91 or you can check out my blog, MastersFilmReview.wordpress.com. Dal Stewart, where are you? I can be found at Happy Scrappy Hero Pub. I'm sorry, I can be found on Twitter <laughs> as Dal underscore Stew, and I can be found on Letterbox. Just look for my name, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Where are you located? Uh, you can keep up with me at ArthurGordonJr.wordpress.com and follow me on Facebook and Twitter from there. Also, I am on Twitter at Dustin underscore Cells S E I almost did not enunciate correctly there. Yes. Also um, on the Letterboxd, also at the Tumblr at iProtein. Uh, so check me out there as well and keep the conversation going. We're, we're so excited to be looking at Terminator 2 next week. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about Planet of the Apes, and we'll see you next time. Oh my God. I'm back. I'm home. All the time. Finally, really did it. You maniacs! You blew it up! Oh, damn you! God damn you all to hell! Help, the human's about to escape. Get your paws off me, you dirty ape! <gasps> he can talk. He can talk, 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 he can talk! I can see! Dr. Zayas? Dr. Zayas? Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas? Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas? Oh, Dr. Zayas? Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas? What's wrong with me? I think you're crazy. Want a second opinion? You're also lazy. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas? Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas? Oh, Dr. Zayas? Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas? Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. 